0: I don't think it's going to be hundred years. By the way, I think uh, Elon wants to—he wants to die on Mars or retire on Mars or something like that. So his plan is to get there in his lifetime, and he's what 50, 52? So I mean, he's in well, good I health.
1: Mean, I mean, let's be honest—it's not really hard to die on Mars for Elon. No, he no. just has to get in a rocket and shoot yes. it in that direction, and he'll die there. Like, right? Yeah. I think the goal is to live there. To live there, yes. No, not, I, not no, crash okay. into it and die there. Just so he can be like, haha, first.
0: All right, JT. So I was reading in the news recently about the Perseverance Mars rover that just landed. This thing plummeted to the surface of Mars uh, at some ridiculous rate of speed, and now that it's landed, that is
1: how gravity works.
0: I, right? Yeah. I just I was fascinated by the whole process. I didn't I didn't watch the the touchdown. I was busy working at the time, unfortunately. But I'm just I'm fascinated with those kinds of things. What doesn't fascinate me? Let's be honest. But just the idea that we're landing things on a, a remote planet. It's just really cool, and we can't directly control it either, so it has to be, like, all pre-programmed. One of the uh, articles that I saw was about this, um, I guess it's a helicopter, they're calling it, Ingenuity Helicopter, which is accompanying the Perseverance rover. And the thing that caught my attention was the fact that the, not the operating system, but the, the parts that are powering this Ingenuity Helicopter, they're, I guess it is an operating system, they're based on Linux. And they're built on this um, open source F-prime software that the JPL, uh, J- Jet Propulsion Laboratories, has put together. And I was, I was like, that's really cool. We have Linux on Mars now. Like, you know, the headlines were, Linux conquers Mars. You know, I was catching your attention, but I thought that was kind of cool. And more just than, oh, it's cool, Linux is on Mars. I was curious to see what was, what was up with this F-prime architecture, or I guess uh, tooling. I don't know the right word here. Um, toolkit. Maybe framework, framework, that's the word I'm looking for. So I went and looked it up. Sure enough, if you go to GitHub, you go to NASA's account and look for F Prime, you see the F Prime, a flight-proven, multi-platform, open-source flight software framework. That's a lot of words. It's also really cool. So this is, um, I guess, code written by some geeks at JPL. And they decided right up front that they were going to open-source all this. So... The thing that is causing a helicopter to fly around and be safe on Mars is something that we can use to put together helicopters or flight things here on Earth. And I just, I know that there's been integration between government projects and open source, but not, it feels like this is a a next level, or maybe it's just my awareness of a next level. This is really, really cool stuff. Um, So I'm diving into this a little bit. It requires CMake, Git, and Python 3.5. And that's it and it works for linux it works for mac os uh, you can run it on embedded applications uh it mentions uh, vx works which i don't know a whole lot about yeah uh, that
1: that we can we can get into a little a little later oh
0: okay But well, there's all these all these platforms that it supports and so very quickly i downloaded the code and it's got a quick start guide so literally you can have a a reference application up and running in like five or ten minutes um So here you go. If you want a helicopter that just flies, I assume it flies on its own. And uh, let's see. Reference application demonstrates how the system components should be wired together. This thing is just, it just looks really, really stinking cool. And I was curious, uh, you seem to have some background in government stuff and have, we've talked in the past about uh, NASA licensing and it's NASA, this is published under the NASA account on GitHub. I assume that means... Uh, it's, okay, let me ask this. Is JPL part of NASA? I don't actually understand how those work together. Is it a separate entity? Is it... Like, why would JPL's code be published under NASA's account? Do you know?
1: Uh, that would be because JPL is part of NASA.
0: Okay. So it's 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 not its own standalone entity. It is like the, the skunkworks that puts things together. So
1: JPL, and if, if I'm wrong on this, someone please correct me. But uh, from my yeah, understanding... They, they will. JPL is effectively the development center for nasa
0: that is cool okay so then that's why it's on nasa's account yeah yeah so i'm curious what else is on nasa's account let's go look github.com slash nasa
1: i would before we before we jump off that jeff there is one very very important thing that i need to make mention of oh um about f prime okay all right and if you if you scroll down a little Right under the contributor section on GitHub, you'll see languages, mm-hmm. and you will notice that JavaScript is not listed. <laughs> You're right; it's not. The overwhelming majority um, of this is C plus as mm-hmm. it should be. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to I just wanted to make okay, that clear to good. everybody.
0: That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. So yeah, um, gosh, how do you follow that up? So I'm looking here in the NASA account. They have a couple other small. Ooh, Europa, that looks interesting. We can explore all that later, but I want to dive into this F-Prime framework. I figure that uh, listeners may be as intrigued in this as, as I am. And I started looking through the docs, and this is one of the best best documented projects, open source projects I've seen in a while. And I guess it's one of the few instances of government software being high quality. You know, I would think anything that the government make tends to be... um. Underperforms and overpriced is generally how it goes. It
1: well, seems... it, de- it depends on what part of the government. Okay. And I fair. think the same applies for the fact that you think it has good documentation. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's going to depend on what part. Obviously, the people at NASA are pretty clever people. And they're also, you know, I guess we could, we could um, underestimate and say that they're highly intelligent.
0: Probably an underestimate.
1: Yeah, that's probably an underestimate. But the fact is, yeah, they understand the importance of proper documentation. They are going to understand, you know, because they're they're looking or approaching it from a scientific engineering perspective. Uh, In most engineering fields, computer science kind of being the oddball, things are very well documented because they Mm -hmm. need to be. Right. Uh, I don't know why software engineers are the exception to, eh, I don't need the document. But in this case, you're not going to run into that. So, yeah, this is going to be extraordinarily well-written. And, I mean, after all, this is going to be somebody's job to sit down and document this, not just for us, but for internal use. Okay. And, you know, this is a project which they are probably planning on using for multiple other things. So they realize that two years from now, a completely separate team may pull this software in because they need it. And they need to know all the things that the current team developing it knows.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So looking here, uh, F prime was built to meet the following goals, capture the reusability of embedded projects into a framework. That makes sense. Ease the separating and reassembling of shareable systems components. That's very dry, but important isolate components for ease of testing. That that sounds like normal Development like good development practices good development patterns kind of surprised to see that here I don't know. I guess I'm still stuck on this thought that the government makes Crappy stuff.
1: Oh again, it depends on what part of the government. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, you know the Manhattan Project That was run by the government landing Mm -hmm. on the moon that was run by the government like the government can do things very well when they are done by people that are highly competent and there is a clear mission and goal associated with it problem is is there are so many parts of government that don't have a real goal other than just whatever happens like for instance let's take uh usda okay Okay. they have a standard set of things that they work on but pretty much it's whatever happens to be you know come up from events the the you, you take law enforcement the law enforcement and intelligence angle you know the bureau CIA, NSA. Yeah, they have things that they obviously always focus on, but the majority of what they do is event-driven types of things. Not, okay. we want to accomplish or do something new so then we have to... See, do you understand the the difference between that? Between a reactive and a goal-driven... Am I explaining that well?
0: Cerebrally, I, I cerebrally understand what you're talking about. Okay. Maybe in the context of uh, how it's applying to a government project is not exactly clear to me. I mean, I, I could just extrapolate from a private industry. I can understand like requirements documents says it must be these things. It must do these things. And then mm-hmm. from the requirements document, you write your specifications and then you figure out all the things you're going to need to accomplish these things and the requirements and just use piece by piece. That makes sense to me. I don't know. Would you call that goal driven? Um, that's what I would expect. You have you're trying to meet these goals. You set requirements for them. So, under what circumstances would you differentiate uh, event-driven?
1: Okay, so, using, using the Bureau as an example, event-driven. A crime occurs, now they have to respond to that crime. Investigate, okay. figure things out, and then, you know, plan a goal to how are we going to solve this crime. If it's an intelligence operation, okay, some event happened overseas, how does this affect the United States foreign policy? Uh, what do we need to do to react hmm. to that? If it's uh, Department of one of the things in the Department of Interior. Uh, there was a giant forest fire, and all of this land that was set aside has been destroyed. What do we do now? It, it that is what I mean by reactive versus okay. the something like landing on the moon. Well, mm. we want to go to the moon. That's the goal. Period. Okay, how do we get there? The entire stack is then built on what the end goal is. That was not necessarily big air quotes here driven by an event. Now, yes, going to the moon was driven by international politics and conflict with the USSR. I understand that. That's not what Mm -hmm. I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. The point is, a direction was chosen, a goal was decided on, and then all the steps had to be taken to arrive at that goal. Okay. And how those steps are taken is then open to what's the best way to accomplish the goal, not what has just happened that we are reacting to.
0: Okay. Makes sense. So then... It seems like someone decided that we're going to have this goal over and over again, and it would behoove us to invest in a not specifically locked in system. Like we want to be able to use this. I read somewhere that this um, f Prime is being used for CubeSats and small, cheap projects like that. It seems like they were wanting to create a toolkit that could be used by not just them, but by other people, too, hence the open source, and make it easy for someone to build a thing which behaved in a way that they would understand. So I guess uh, when you're launching a CubeSat, you don't specifically need to know how it does this thing, but you don't want something that's just going to break down in space up there. So probably there's some degree of proofing required before they'd be like, okay, you can put that thing up there. Uh, and if you're using this F' framework, it's something they already understand. It's, expe- it's got certain expectations and very clearly delineated, and you must be able to do this and test each individual component. And it seems like all the legwork all the expectations are already laid out for you such that you can succeed easily. Now, nothing is requiring you to use F-prime as far as I know, but you'd probably be foolish not to use it. It's, um, it's blessed by NASA, you know? If you want your stuff to be in space and you can meet all the other requirements, you know, the cost and, and the actual need to go, uh, not my long-term goal of uh, putting a potato in space, that's another story, uh, they would actually want a reason for that. If you have a reason to be up there you have the cost you have everything planned out then you just need to meet these requirements of it's actually going to function as we expect and i would assume if you bring something in that's not based on f prime they're going to be like um yeah you're going to need to spend another two or twenty million dollars to test this and you know here you have to use these vendors for it whereas if you bring in something based on f prime they'll be like here show us your modules show us your components Show us your individual testing and the test results. We'll review it and make sure that it's you know up to the standards, that you've actually got adequate test coverage, and we know it's going to do what it's supposed to do. Because the last thing anybody wants is an out-of-control, empowered hunk of metal up in space that's causing havoc with other things that are in space. I mean, once it's up there, it's up there. And it's not exactly... It's a, if you lose control of it, you can't bring it back down again. It's just going to do its thing as we've seen with some of these other satellites. So I I assume that that's maybe part of the reason why they did this. It just, I'm struck by the quality of what I see. And if I were to try and build software greenfield to accomplish what they've done, I don't think I'd get anywhere near as good as this. Not GPL. They're brilliant. You know, I don't think they hire non brilliant people there. Uh, we probably have to have a minimum IQ or something. I don't know. Um, but it's just, I, I the more I look at this project, the way it's lined up and the way it's, uh, the expectations of it, and I'm just really impressed by what I'm seeing. And so I kind of want to, this probably be for a later episode, uh, I'll probably play around with this some and see if I can build some kind of tool, maybe uh, we release the code here and we could hack around uh, on it. And there are a little community that is being built. We could try and put together some project to use this because this seems like really cool. I'd love to be able to just take a drone and try and. Program using this. It looks like it does. um, It's focused around event-based tracking, events, and telemetry, and being able to make a decision based upon what happened before and also what sensors are coming in. That that, it makes sense, but um, I could I could see a lot of uses for this actually, and not specifically just in flying things.
1: Right. Yeah. If you if you dig into the repo a little, you will find that the original user guide points out uh, from 2017 that this was a there was some type of partnership with uh, JPL and uh, CIT California Institute technology. Okay, Um, and in there uh, Let me scroll down for the introduction it goes the f prime software framework was developed at JPL with the goal of providing Software for flight systems that would be memory efficient and reusable Mm -hmm. It consists of a component framework utilizing code generation to generate commonly used patterns in the architecture um, the framework is meant to be delivered as a package, the source build system code generations GUI uh, and an example are ready to build and run on systems commonly used at JPL. This user guide will show how to acquire, build, and run an example, as well as directions for applying the software for a particular use. For more details on the architecture itself, read the architecture distribution document located in the docs folder of the distribution. Uh, mm-hmm. So again, this was this was designed from the get-go to be something that could be used in multiple places for multiple things, sort of in the same area. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it's a flight system, so it's an avionics package, but mm-hmm. this was not designed to be a one and done. Mm-hmm. So because of that, like I like I think I mentioned earlier, they would have wanted to document it so that years down the road, a completely separate team that knew nothing about this could step in, read all the documentation, and get completely up to speed, and not have to worry about that bootstrap process of, okay, I'm trying to figure out how this works. I think so, I would love... Wow. If you, yeah, and, yeah, and this is the kind of good stuff you can get from the government when the government okay, works yeah. the way it should this is what you get because That's what you would want the government to do And that's what we want NASA to do because we want them to be able to accomplish goals quickly and we want them to be able to Come up with a zany idea off the top of their head and then go. Okay. What's in our toolbox? Oh, we've got all these different software things. Oh that one will work mm-hmm. and then again have people come in and instantly be able to get up to speed instead of, okay, well, now I've got to track somebody down who wrote this four years ago, who has completely forgotten about it now because they're <laughs> off doing something else, and then a project <laughs> gets delayed because I can't get the information I need. I mean, this is an example of how development and documentation should go hand in hand. Right. Yes. Unfortunately, that is not the case pretty much anywhere else
0: anywhere else i was just sitting there lamenting that as you were speaking through these things like this is a this is a perfect example i would love to work this way but i imagine it's extremely expensive too though. well that's that's
1: yes. that's the problem and that's why most yes. companies aren't interested in it mm-hmm. the documentation is the either the okay we're going to have somebody do it just so we can say we're doing it right or documentation is seen as kind of a noose around the neck of yeah this is something we have to waste money on because people are going to want some want some words to read, but oh, you know, they really don't yeah. think it's necessary. Because after all, oh well, the software is so easy to understand. I mean, that's what, the that's, software, what every, that's what every it's whatever you developers documents
0: thinks. itself. Right. Have you ever yeah. heard a developer say that? Yes, yeah, I yeah. just stop and I look at them like, "What? This is Perl. Nothing about this is really right. easy to read. It does not document itself. Don't don't joke with me like that. You know, just speaking hypothetically. That's just never." And Actually it, it is
1: unfortunate, and I don't say this simply because I'm I'm doing some documentation work now, it is unfortunate how the view of documentation, not just that it's, a lot of people consider it not effective or important, but that it is considered a lower quality or a lower, not lower importance, um, it's not considered as glorious, I guess you could say. As Good. the development. You know, the developers, they're the rock stars. They're the ones that get the big paychecks. Mm-hmm. You know, the documentation people are the ah, eh, you know, they just write words. I don't know about that. Which, I disagree with that very strongly. Well, yeah, I do too. But that is the the tack that a lot of places take, which mm-hmm. is, you know, why the pay scales are completely different, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate, obviously, uh, for anyone that's doing documentation work. And in a lot of cases it's not warranted because the documentation people were are trying to figure out what the developers have done because the developers themselves aren't documenting it right so (laughs) they have to understand how to read code in the first place
0: Mm -hmm. to be able to deduce
1: right yeah gosh
0: that's that's, it's like a qc people um those of you who don't have adequate qc departments you know this plight of if only we had at least one competent qc person we could have caught this problem or that problem before it ever gets out in the field we don't have anybody that's competent. It's, it seems like QC, I guess I'm grinding my axe here, but QC is so important and it's looked at as overhead, afterthought. Well, we must. If you're going for minimum viable product, you can get by with that documentation and QC as long as it does its a, a major objective. I don't think it'd be very commercial of a product, but if, you just, if you've got to get something out the door now, we have to to meet a uh, shareholder commitment or uh, an aggressive timeline or something then we need our MVP. Just forget the documentation, forget the QC, just just get it working. Does it compile? Does it do what we want? Great, ship it, which is a terrible approach. Just a abhorrent approach, but um, it happens all too often. So that makes me wonder, do you know of other software's frameworks that have been built in similar settings like government settings like this? Is this a unicorn that you think? Um, maybe our listeners could fill us in on that if, if they know of any others, but I mean, I, I have plumbed around the depths of, of open source in several places, and I haven't really seen much much like this from the government. This is like a, a, an ideal case, you
1: know? um, So w- I'll get to that in a second. Um, okay. I, I want to touch one more thing on the, on the QA, uh, QC okay. thing you were talking about, and that is right. an, another thing that I, I see becoming more of a trend, which I think is very unfortunate, is a lot of companies that, especially that do things in the open. Kind of have the attitude of, oh, well, we don't even need it because, you know, we've got the community. The community is the QA. <laughs> and they'll they'll find the issues, they'll report them, and we'll mm-hmm. just fix it in the next release. So we don't yeah. need to worry about it internally. Back in the day when you had hardcore version numbered releases, it things had to be golden for that thing to go out the door. Mm-hmm. The release early release often mantra, which I agree with has unfortunately skewed things and it doesn't matter what its state is, we'll fix it in the next release, which is going to happen in the next two months. So I don't care if we ship bugs, we're going to put it out the door. Two
0: hours, two hours, two days, one day, something. I think the release early release often cycles these days are super short. A lot you talk about companies that are doing 10,000 pushes to production a day or something, something absurd. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But it's like, so for a company like Amazon to say, oh, we pushed Ten thousand times to production. You've got ten thousand distinct systems that you're all doing. So it's still very impressive that you're doing ten thousand pushes. But I, you know, I don't know that it's as impressive as one company who makes five products and is pushing a thousand times to production. That's like holy cow. Maybe you should do a little more. Just slow down, you know. But uh, I've heard it release early, release often. Uh, I've heard it fail early, release often, or fail early, fail often. I don't know if it's making fun of it or if it's like legitimate. Better to fail, but fail in small ways. Uh, okay, I'm also
1: I'm also talking about software development companies that are building software okay. for other people to use, not software as a service. That's a completely okay. different can of worms.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: You know, because I have seen places that do, you know, sell a piece of software, wh- whatever it is. Let's say it's a audio editing thing, I don't know. Okay. Um, where they're aware of bugs that are in it, but it's like, eh, we're gonna be, you know, we do a monthly release, so we'll just fix it in the next one. So mm. just go ahead and push the bad stuff out. We know there's bad stuff in it. We don't care. Just push it. it it's not really that important. It probably won't affect anybody. Mm. And if it does, we'll just tell them to roll back till the next one comes out that fixes it. And that I think is really unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. But I am seeing that more and more as time goes by. Because the I attitude guess we'll just is get used to we, that. we don't need to worry about it because we do release so often that mm it's no longer as critical as it used to be. Like, you think, Uh, you remember back when when Windows used to have its, you know, its big releases? I mean, it was a massive production when they would put something out. Mm -hmm. And there was always all the journalists who were like, okay, what is the first problem we can find with it? Because we (laughs) have to be able to nail into the wall. And, of course, they would find something. And they would make a big deal out of it, of course. Mm -hmm. But because Microsoft knew that by pushing that version, and by making that announcement and making that production, they couldn't just, eh, yeah, we know about all this crap that's in there, but we're not worried about it. Like, they had Mm -hmm. to actually be concerned with it. So I don't know what what QA was like in Microsoft at that time, but I'm pretty sure they probably had a significant department. Now, just because of the size of the code base, they were never going to be able to cover everything. Mm -hmm.
0: There's just so much attack surface in Windows. Yeah. (laughs) Especially since each version of Windows contains almost all the pieces of the windows that came before it for backwards compatibility. Like you can still go find code from windows three in the existing code base that they're launching in windows 10. Some of that stuff. I think recently, like in the last couple of years, they finally excised some of the earliest Samba stuff because it's, it was so old and so bad and such a a strong vector for attacks. They said, we have to rip this out finally. And I think a bunch of companies complained because they were still using Samba one or the equivalent, some kind of backwards compatibility and it failed on them.
1: Anyway. Yeah, so to yeah. get back to what where you were going, um, right. with are there other things that the government has done well mm-hmm. and documented well? I would say yes. Now, obviously, this is a conversation that really kind of only focuses around software-type stuff. Right. I'm thinking um, software specifically, right. yes. So the first one that comes to mind is SE Linux.
0: Mm-hmm. Good call.
1: Yep. Is very well documented. If you go and you read the actual... Now, I'm not talking about the, just the random PDFs you can find online. If you go and actually look at the actual publication when SE Linux was first pushed out the door, like, there was a lot there.
0: Mm-hmm. I was overwhelmed with how much there was. And it yeah. was it, it popped out, like, fully formed. I was like, this is a system that took a while to do. And yeah. here it is. Boom. It's in. Whoa. That I was... I, I was very surprised by that. But it also it made sense because they were Linux is powerful, they want to use it, but they're not gonna use it the way it is now because it's also uh it's it has problems. We'll just put it that mm-hmm. way. There there's, you know, you talk to a, a hacker and they'll say, Oh, the Linux kernel's insecure as heck or whatever. And so NASA or NSA, not NASA, NSA can't have that run around in their systems. They're gonna have to come up with something. So right. that's just I, I'm surprised that um they were willing to give it away like that. Frankly, because something like that is extremely valuable.
1: Yeah, but okay. the the thing you have to understand is the the NSA is kind of bipolar in that not only do they need to make sure that all government systems and American infrastructure is secure. They also need to break everybody else's. (laughs) And those two things are in conflict because the Mm -hmm. moment you put something secure out there for us to use. You're strengthening the security of everybody else. So there's those Mm -hmm. two sides that are constantly warring back and forth. And as long as those two sides are warring back and forth, things are okay. The problem is there are times when mission objectives in the agency change and the viewpoint is, well, let's not worry about American infrastructure so much because we don't want to strengthen the enemies and we want Mm -hmm. to be able to crack there. So when that happens, things go awry. Uh, But if you just... If you look at what they have gotten right, like all of the different encryption standards, Mm -hmm. all of the different FIPS that they've put out, and FIPS is just not for encryption, by the way. A lot of people think that it is. It's not. It covers a whole range of things. Mm -hmm. Those things are excruciatingly well-documented, like almost (laughs) painfully (laughs) well-documented. But it's there.
0: I'm curious now.
1: Um, FIPS. Just can go look that up. FIPS. Oh, you will find some that are fascinating, that you're like, wait, Mm -hmm. wait, hold on, that's a FIPS standard?
0: Mm. Yeah, no kidding. Federal Information Processing Standards. I did not know what FIPS actually stood for. Like, I've I've heard the term. Um, For some reason, I have a couple FIPS, the the numbers, stuck in my head. So I guess uh, from audits and such. Like, uh, here you go, FIPS 140-2. Is that the one that had um, introduced some
1: I, th- that's, uh, new that's, curves? A, that's, yeah, that's encryption-based.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, FIPS 40, 140-2 will end on September 22nd of this year. Hmm, they're already replacing it. I had a 20-year run, that's good.
1: Well, yeah, also, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on with, um, OpenSSL as well. Oh, okay. Oh. I, I kind of wish I knew the conversation was going to go in this direction.
0: Well, you know, we never because, know where that's gonna going to go. yeah. Because maybe we should bottle this up for the next episode
1: or, or no, something. No, okay. I don't. I don't think so. I want to.
0: Okay. I want to find topical. it. It's topical. So, okay. listeners,
1: I'm sorry that you're going to have to listen to me wander on around while I try <laughs> to uh, find what I was reading like a week ago.
0: Well, maybe we'll just insert some like da da music over it, uh, you know, and speed it up, and you could hear us talking like really rapidly, like it's some kind of cartoon or something.
1: Uh, I guess I guess we could do that.
0: I could fill the space. So, uh, while he's looking, um, some other softwares that came to mind, uh, NSA also, they recently released, released a tool called Ghidra, I believe. Yeah, Just Ghidra. Like an, that thing is amazing. An amazing binary ex, uh, reversal tool. Like, the best tool ever. Uh, for a while there, I'd been looking at using a pretty good tool that came out called Binary Ninja. Came out about uh, six or seven years ago and was low cost. So, for for a long time, there was like one or two tools that everybody used. And it was like, I don't know, $1,000 to $10,000, depending on how rich you were, like what the license cost was for this. And of course, if you're a poor researcher, you're not going to pay that, so you just pirate it. And they kind of expected that would happen. I think that's why the cost of the licenses were so high. But it was kind of stagnant. And so when Binary Ninja came out, I was kind of excited about that. And then I really didn't get into using it very much. And then here, lands. you said Gehedra is how you pronounce it?
1: Uh, That's how I've heard people pronounce it.
0: Okay, Gehedra. But I uh,
1: think, I don't know if there's a correct way, to, I mean there probably is, but probably. I've never heard anybody get real passionate about it being said the wrong way.
0: Well, let's see. Maybe our listeners have an opinion on that. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, sure they have I'm sure an opinion. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Yeah. So There's probably other other tools like that. And the thought also came to me, again, filling time while JT's looking at stuff, um, is this a good use for government resources? If the government is supposed to be making um like roads or, or things that we all can use why would this not be a great application of government resources to make um not just encoding standards or encryption or, or other fips um documents or whatever but like making i don't know uh c plus plus cross platform framework like think of what, what qt has done they're not just c plus i know but a, a cross-platform class language framework for doing some other useful stuff, but wouldn't this be a good place for government to step in and be like, we can really help you out. We can exhaustively document and create this this framework that can be used for so many things and will really improve developers' lives. That may actually be one of the few, uh, I'm staunchly libertarian, so I'm like, government get out of everything, but I think that would be actually a good use of government resources. As long as they're making things of sufficient quality if they're just like making another framework another javascript framework for instance then i don't care you know that we don't need the government making another javascript framework because it'll be obsolete in two weeks you know and their development cycles are, are four years so i don't think the government could i wonder if the government is even using javascript because it moves so fast
1: um i mean i'm sure they are somewhere
0: but... somewhere i'm sure
1: yeah, yeah so an example of of FIPS that people probably didn't think about or, or know about is, for instance, FIPS 45, which establishes basically the standards for COBOL. Oh. Um, so if, if you want to do COBOL for government stuff or, or stuff that could be certified, well, there you go. Faxes. There's procedures for how to... Fax should be transmitted. That's, that's a FIPS? That's, that's 148. Wow. Uh, graphical user interface is 153.1. Programmer hierarchical... Interactive graphic system. Um C is a FIP standard. Hmm. Um video teleconferencing is a FIP standard. Uh here's another hmm. good one. Uh 103. Codes for identification of hydro hydraulic hydro, hydraulic? Yeah, hydraulic units in the United States and the Caribbean outlying areas. Hmm. Like that's okay. a FIP standard. Like FIPS is not just encryption. Everybody thinks it is because yeah. by and large, in our little Subculture. That's what anybody times. Anytime somebody talks about FIPS, they're usually talking about an encryption standard.
0: Usually, that's that's how I've always heard it, or like an audits or something. Yeah, some obscure data data storage. Not just encryption, but like data at rest must be this or that or whatever. So I guess that's encryption, isn't it? Uh, that's the only time I've ever really run across FIPS. Um, so that's interesting. The thing I was just asking about, it's they're already doing. I guess. They're already publishing these standards. Some of them are musty old. I know that COBOL is still around and with us in in many key places. And I think we talked about in the past episode about uh, being a COBOL programmer. You'd probably make a big bank. But at the same time, you'd be kind of stuck in one of these few places where it still is used. But it's interesting. I'm going to go read up on that. Uh, The FIPS COBOL. Hmm. Where did you go to find this information about these useful FIPS? Uh, put that in the dark, notes,
1: dark, holes in the internet that you're not supposed to know about. No, it's, oh. it's public, it's public knowledge. You mean like DuckDuckGo? No. I mean, you can probably <laughs> find it on DuckDuckGo. Darker holes in that then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it's out there. I mean, again, it was all okay. public information.
0: Right, um, yeah,
1: another yeah. thing, another standard thing, if you want to look into government standards that might be of interest, if this is the kind of thing that, you know, checks all the boxes for you and gets you going is CMMC compliance. I don't know what that means. Well, you'll have to look it up then. I'm not going to I'm so. not going tell you. Oh, okay. Well,
0: wow. all right then. Oh, GIS. Um, is that it? That seems like that's a FIP standard. That's a Geographic Information Systems? Well,
1: that's just, just a whole that's a whole field.
0: Okay. Well, I don't mean I to I mean I'm sure they, they I'm sure that. they
1: have standards in it, but GIS mm. on itself is that's like saying, "Oh, the military. That's a standard, right?" Like that's an entire <laughs> field.
0: Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. That makes sense. So it seems like this my wishes have already been granted, but maybe just not in things that I was aware of. And also, maybe the exhaustively documented works against them. Like I don't have the time to sit and read all these various FIP centers. Oh, that's useful. I I can use that. Or they've already built that here. I could use that. You know, I don't have the time.
1: You okay, so I'm I don't actually think that, that works against them. Um I just think that's a clear indication that you are not the target market. Okay, that's fair. That's you know, fair. they they didn't they didn't write this for you and I to kick back on a Saturday and you know while we're eating some Cheetos and you know read some stuff for fun. Like these are mission critical, goal focused documents for the people that need the information critically. Okay, so they're written for that task. They're written okay. for that purpose,
0: um, so which is the why question. they're
1: usually very dry. Here's
0: a question to tie it back to our original topic. Okay. Do you think um, there was a FIPS standards or, or establishment document uh, declaring what F-prime needed to be? Because um, this seems like... No. Yeah, it seems like a, a much different way of approaching things. And yeah, I, I, and, and much also... It's more palatable
1: to me. Uh, you know, you have to kind of remember what FIPS actually stands for, which is information processing. You well, know, that's this what F-prime's doing, it's well, processing information. It's an avionics package. That NASA yeah. is using that's not something okay. that the federal government is going to be using system wide like okay okay, all
0: right, it just seems to me that uh, i'm tr- I guess I'm trying to understand I mean, the difference federal between... federal information
1: those. processing standards that's, okay. that's what FIPS means so
0: NASA is owned by the federal government or well, I don't know by? If
1: owned would be the right word to say
0: but I get right what you're is. saying okay um, but so now they've created so, a standard so, but, Software?
1: No, because this is not Something that is going to be used Outside of Certain edge case Uses. This is not a Processing standard that the entire government needs To follow. Okay How F-Prime works How F-Prime works is not going to affect The United States Postal Service in okay. data communication
0: Alright, looking at looking at The features um, I know that this was originally written Tailored towards flight and making flight which is a very difficult thing much easier mm-hmm. but this does not sound to me like flight specific ac plus plus framework providing core capa- capabilities like queues, threads and operating system abstraction that doesn't sound specific to flight that sounds like very useful potentially useful abstraction tools for designing systems and automatically generating code from systems design so then maybe what it is this language that i'm reading here is very generic it's just trying to describe at a high level to someone else what f prime has that makes it valuable.
1: I think that is the description within the understanding of what f prime is. Okay. So yeah. it's it's the order hierarchy. Okay. The fact that it's a avionics package is, is most important and then under that is what you just read. Instead okay. of the other way around where what you just read is the primary and oh yeah, and some flight stuff.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so then I started reading about this immediately I thought, okay, I could put a cube set up, what would I want it to do? Well, And I had all kinds of really stupid ideas. So I'm like, oh. sure
1: you did. Well, um, I just think... Uh, but you the know, maybe... biggest problem in putting a cube set up is getting it up. Right. So you would kind of the... need to solve that first.
0: No, no, no I don't. Um, I can just hope that into... I'll just wish it into space. Like, I can just dream about it. Okay, so I referenced earlier um, putting a potato in space. I have this... had this uh, desire for a long time. Potato. Uh, yeah, it says. Yeah, well, okay. Why not? Uh, it's called it's called Spudnik. That's the reason to put a potato in space. it's called call it Spudnik. That's literally the whole reason. It's just a pun. But then uh, Portal came out, and Portal had this the evil machine, and there was a period of Portal 2 where it was powered by a potato. And so then I basically, thought, oh,
1: perfect. You want to create, or you want to accidentally cause panspermia? Is what you're saying. What? I have no idea what that means. You don't know what panspermia is. No, I don't. Okay, Panspermia is a theory that life on Earth actually started outside of the planet, that uh, the basic building blocks of life, protein, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, chemical structures fell to Earth because, you know, we can produce those naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, They can be produced naturally. And that by just chance they ended up on a comet or whatever that then crashed here, depositing that on the planet, and then life evolved out of that. But that the original seed, so to speak, of the biological material, the chemical precursors, was not created here. Hmm. So that's, okay. the, that's, that's the philosophy. That's way over my head. And okay. the, the reason this matters is because this is actually something that, uh, speaking of NASA, they are concerned about when going to other places, like going to the moon or going to Venus. Well, mm-hmm. Venus not so much because it's a little hostile there. Uh, but Mars is another example. Is They want to make sure that they are not contaminating those places. With microbes Mm -hmm. from Earth.
0: Okay. Because
1: if that happens, like let's say, you know, somebody sneezes, it gets on the rover, and then rover goes to Mars, lands down on the surface, drives around a little bit, snots gets on a rock, and then a hundred years from now, you know, we've got a Martian colony up there or whatever hopefully. Come on, Elon, (laughs) I'm rooting for you. And they're walking around and they see this rock with some weird stuff growing on it, and they're like, what is this? And they pick it up and they're like, oh my god, there's like this green or orange or purple or whatever slime on here. And then they come back and they're like, holy crap, look, there's like biological material here. Well, yeah, because it was snot from some scientist. Like, that's (laughs) what they're trying to prevent. Okay,
0: okay. I don't know, I would not expect the uh, potato to leave orbit. I would expect it to fall to earth very rapidly. Well,
1: that's uh, what you expect. But once well, it's okay. in space, you're kind of, you don't have any option. I mean, it could be hit by some piece of space debris, which then happens to launch it out in another direction. Mm-hmm. And then, oops, it lands right. on Mars. And 20 right. years from now, or hundred years from now, when it was a Martian colony, they're, you know, walking down the road, all of a sudden there's a potato. I don't, t-
0: <laughs> I don't think it's going to be hundred years, by the way. I think, uh, Elon wants to, he wants to die on Mars or retire on Mars or something like that. So his plan is to get there in his lifetime. And he's what, 50, 52. So, I mean, he's in well, good I mean,
1: I mean, let's be honest. It's not really hard to die on Mars for Elon. No. He no. just has to get in a rocket and shoot it in that direction and he'll die there. Like, right, yeah. I think the goal is to live there. To live there. Yes. No, Not, I, not no, crash okay. into it and die there. Just so he okay. can be like, haha, first. To, to, <laughs> to be
0: clear, he wants to live there. And he wants to live there at the end of his life and expire on Mars after having lived on Mars. That is my understanding of his goal.
1: Yeah. Hey, and, speaking of Mars and Elon... Oh, no. Have you heard of the terms of service for Starlink actually declare Mars to be a free planet? <laughs> outside... In the terms of service, it actually uh, declares that uh, it's Mars is a free planet, and it's outside the jurisdiction of Earth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why? What? Okay. And what? if you sign up for Starlink, you have to agree that... If you are on Earth, that any arbitration happens in in California. However, you, if you're what? on Mars, then you are not subject... Then Starlink and you are not subject to Earth law.
0: Whoa. Okay. So the only reason they would have to put this in there... And there's, I think, several reasons trolling. Alon's uh, good at that. But, he is.
1: Ah... Where does that go? Well, they're laying the he's legal like, He's
0: playing chess like five yeah. moves ahead of everybody. It's else. like 100
1: moves ahead. Because effectively, yeah. if that's for real, well, I mean it is for real. It's in it's the terms of service. Not enforceable. It wouldn't well, be enforceable. It is, it is enforceable if you're on Mars because you don't have an earth <laughs> court to like hear the case. <laughs> and he's already made the legal precedent by it being in the terms of service which you've agreed to. So if you go well, to I Mars, Mars to anything. and well, you don't have Starlink. So if you go to Mars and you're then on what a Martian colony, well, I got my sign up email actually. Oh,
0: oh, ooh, very nice.
1: But, But um, uh... Yeah, Yeah. so, if you're on Mars, and you've already agreed to that Terms of Service, like, Hmm. what are you Hmm. gonna do? There are a lot of clauses. I wish I knew about that in our Terms of Service episode, because I would've brought that up, but, yeah, you know, it is what it is.
0: It is what it is. Uh, and maybe there'll be a follow-up. I don't know. I figure that, uh, there'll be lots of responses to the Terms of Service episode. Uh, so, maybe we'll address it then. That I just, I, lo- I like the idea of what he's doing. I, I struggle to think of how to connect the dots to make it actually more than just trolling or, or raising awareness. I mean, what is it that, what are the steps? I do Starlink and then I'm building my own intra Earth Mars uh, network between them that I'm still calling Starlink, or it's just an expansion of it
1: or, or something. I, I don't know. But Again, this is and a guy then, who thinks seven steps ahead. Or yeah, seventy steps ahead. I mean, there, why did he buy? A, why did he buy a tunneling company? It made no sense. People are like, "Why is he getting into like digging tunnels?" This is stupid. And then people started realizing, "Oh, hold on a second, he he could use that to then build underground colonies on Mars because mm-hmm. then it would actually be protected from radiation because Mars doesn't have an atmosphere like the Earth right. does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a magnetosphere the way Earth does. Solar mm-hmm. radiation and right. other things like that." Well, that's going to be far more of an issue on the surface. But if you happen to have all the equipment and capability to dig huge tunnels under the surface, hmm. well, there—like the guy has a plan. Now, mm-hmm. is he an evil genius? Maybe. I hope he is. I, I mean, he did want, he did joke about nuking the nuking Mars. So, I mean, you know, there is that.
0: I don't know what he. Why, why, I don't. What was the context of that?
1: I, oh, he I was just joke. talking about how you could terraform it a whole lot faster by nuking the polar regions. Which oh, scientifically, yeah, water? yeah, it would work. I mean, you would also blanket the place in radiations. Like that would suck, but you know, <laughs> if you're an evil, if you're an evil supervillain and you don't mind irradiating a planet as one does, I mean, hey, it'll work, and it could <laughs> speed things up.
0: I don't think of Elon as a, as a supervillain. Maybe you know, I well, I mean, think about
1: it. If he nukes the polar caps, okay. By the time that he then spun everything else up and got us there, most of the radiation would have settled. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, and there's, there's not like there's a lot of wind on Mars to blow mm-hmm. things around. I mean, there is sure. some atmosphere, but...
0: It's like one hundredth the density of Earth's atmosphere. Right. Which, uh, bring it full circle, that's one of the things that makes flying a helicopter or any kind of airborne anything extremely challenging mm-hmm. on Mars. Because if you don't have enough atmosphere, you, how do you produce the thrust? So you, your device has to be super, 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 super light and also probably has to have like an enormous wingspan to get enough thrust to keep it in the air. So I mean, the quite, gravity quite is the lower as challenge. well, so
1: that, they have that advantage right. as well. But yeah, there, there still isn't a lot of air to mm-hmm. use to get lift off of.
0: Exactly. And to claw your way around to make a maneuver, they just, you just don't have... It's like trying to move when you're on a frozen lake. Any direction you might go, you're not going to have enough traction to really like make a good move in that direction. So you got to kind of move your momentum and keep increasing your momentum in the right direction to get it going up to a, a, amply or a good speed on ice. So, which is topical because we were doing that in the last week here in, in Texas and Dallas, we got uh snowed and iced in. So that's a whole nother talk. Maybe um, I really, I'm trying to think about Starlink and Mars and where, I want to connect those dots, but I think I I don't have, we don't have time in the episode to do that, but that's, I'll do more reading on that. Mm -hmm. How does that, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some leaps in there that I would like to understand because I'm, I'm constantly uh, interested in the moves he's making and he's, he, everything he does, it seems, sometimes it seems like he's just trolling, but he's actually, he's got a purpose other than those times where he's literally just trolling, you know, when he posts. A couple of weeks ago when the hell GameStock thing was going crazy and he just posts one word GameStock on his Twitter and all of a sudden GameStock stock just takes off because it's like, well, what is this? Alon trolled about
1: it. I must go look it up. Well, I mean, it that was kind of already stuff. taking off. He just, right, right. he put it into overdrive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've seen the, the, the reports investigating activity before and after. And like you could see this massive bump in volatility and, and trading of the stock and, and a jump in price too, immediately after he posted that he did raise awareness of it and to people that hadn't been paying attention or didn't know of it. So, oh man, I did not mean to go this direction with a, a talk about uh, F prime, but I think I need to spend a little more time with it and I want to try and play with it. And I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm wondering if, if uh, listeners have any crazy cubesat ideas, uh, yeah. I would love to to hear that and kind of talk about it. I think certainly they've got something like I've always wanted to do this or I want to point a, a laser at my mother-in-law's house all the time from space, so they can threaten. Yeah, her or something. yeah.
1: Don't, don't, don't. No. no, laser pointing at people is actually a felony. So don't do that. Right. Well, okay. It wouldn't be at her.
0: It'd be at her house.
1: That, that's, that's different. That, no, not really. That's still docile <laughs> of someone where they are inhabiting. No, that's that's a bad. That's a bad move. Listeners, do not do what Jeff said. I just, I'm just as
0: it's, it's just a suggestion, a starting point for discussion.
1: Suggesting um, criminal activity, Jeff. Shame no. on you.
0: No. Shame okay. You. All right. Fine.
1: We also take we back. also never covered uh, VXWorks. Oh, that's right. We didn't. Uh, no, do we cover it now? Uh no, not really. And actually, this is going to be talked about on BSD now. Probably by the time this episode comes out, that episode will be out. Oh. Um, okay. So I will throw a link in the show notes. Um, if I remember, Perfect. I might forget, and then someone will have to yell at me, which is fine. Just yell at me, and I'll add the link. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, okay. we're we're planning to talk about it on there. So that's cool.
0: So that means that VXworks is based on BSD? Just a so that's my 50%. understanding.
1: It It is, air quotes, proprietary. Okay. But, I mean, technically so is the Sony PlayStation OS, even though it's based mm-hmm. on FreeBSD, because it's a BSD license, you mm-hmm. can kind of do that. Yep. So yep.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I look forward to that episode then. But well, listeners, tell us, uh, are the ideas crazy? Um, tell us your CubeSat ideas. Tell us what you think about F-Prime. Uh, maybe collaborate with me on trying to make something cool with it. I have a couple ideas, like actual legitimate real ideas, not just making stupid space puns, but actual legitimate things that I want to try and do with the flying devices and and uh, targeting and goal goal achievement kind of things that f Prime would be perfect for. So I was really excited to, to find out about this. And uh, just what I need is another hobby, right? Another thing to try and play around with. But I'm really, I'm kind of interested in this. So if, if any listeners want to join in with me on some... What kind of project's using this? Let me know, you know, uh, JT, you're welcome to join too, but I think you're kind of already fixated on numerous of your own hobbies. Uh, yeah. I've got too many,
1: I've got too many other things going on.
0: And this time, this time of year also, you have the whole staying alive thing because it gets really cold where you are.
1: Yeah. Staying alive is kind of an important, uh, precursor to doing things as it turns out. Yeah, it kind out. of is. It kind yeah. of is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well,
0: we can explore that more later. Yeah,
1: and another in another episode.
0: And <laughs> another episode. Um, anyway, so tell us what you think, guys and gals. Yeah,
1: you can email me at jt at minddripmedia.com. There's also a contact uh, page on the website, or you can fill it out so you don't even have to go to your email account. Uh, send us your thoughts, your ideas. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear what you have to say. And I'm going to end mm. with a very, very deep philosophical uh, statement for Jeff to ponder really? on for, Okay, for the, for the right, next one. I'm week. ready. And that I'm is... Ready. Everything in the universe is either a potato or not a potato.